It's wonderful to be with you. Um, If you're new or maybe you've been away for a few weeks, let me kind of catch you up to speed on what's been going on in the life of our church. We have just finished a brand new sermon series looking at the vision of our church since our new senior pastors, John and Joni, took the reins in January. And um, in a nutshell, the vision of the church is, is all about home. It's all about coming home. It's all about, first and foremost, creating a home for God where the presence of God and worship is our highest call and our highest priority. Then we're called to build a home for this family. We are a family, aren't we, as a church? And um, create a culture of love, loving one another. There are so many one another's in the New Testament. Uh, a, a place of creativity and fun and joy where people can come and feel welcomed and at home. And the third kind of aspect to home is really that we're called to um, invite our city home. Invite our city home. And today, uh, that is really the title of my talk. That is what I'm going to be sharing on. I'm excited to dig into the Bible. If you've got a Bible, we're going to jump straight in. I hope you're okay with just a simple talk today. Uh, we're going to read a bit of the Bible and uh, explore what it means. I've got a few thoughts and observations from it. Then we'll try and apply it to our lives. We are in Luke chapter 15. And uh, some of you will be very familiar with Luke chapter 15. Some of you might not be. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. But um, while you're getting there, let me kind of get you up to speed with Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is all about home. It's all about home. Jesus tells three parables about lost things. And then I think the context of this passage, what does it mean to be lost? Well, I think it means to be far from home. Jesus tells the story of a a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, and we are going to be looking at the story of the lost son today. This is one of my favorite Bible passages in the entire Bible. It is crazy. It is scandalous. This is one of those Bible passages that got Jesus murdered, okay? So you ready? It's going to be big, and then we'll we'll kind of have some thoughts from it afterwards. Um, So Luke 15, we're going to start in... Chapter uh, in verse 11, and as we go through it, I'll kind of draw out some um, thoughts and some context for the passage. But it starts with this Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. So, this is not just the story of the lost son, there are three main characters to this story. We've got a father and we've got his two sons. But the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, the father divided his property between them. Now, in the context of this passage, pause there for just a moment, this would have been where the scandal starts. In a culture of honor and respect, where fathers were really placed at such high esteem, the son here is saying what many people think is probably the worst thing you could possibly say to your father. It is the height of disrespect. It's the height of dishonor. He is essentially saying, it's like calling down a curse on his dad. He was essentially saying, Dad, um, I don't want to wait until you die for me to get my inheritance. In fact, I don't really care about you at all. What I want is I want, essentially, I wish you were dead and I want what is coming to me. That is essentially the, the gist of the story. And there would have been gasps in the audience of Jesus as he said that. It's just outrageous. And so the younger son didn't want anything to do with his father. He said, I don't want to know you. I don't want to be with you. I don't care about you. Just give me what I am owed so that I can have license to do what I want. 
Give me what is going to be mine. And so the father divided his property between them. And sense of this, the word property in, in the passage is actually the word bios, which means um, life. It, the, the picture Jesus is painting is the father would have had to sell some of his land, some of his home. His, his life was being torn apart in order to give the younger son what he wanted. And then the father let his son walk away. That's the picture of love. The father who lets his son walk away. Verse 13, we continue. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living, think parties, think crazy things. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and the son began to be in need. So the younger son went and hired himself out as a citizen of that, to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. If you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs are a no-go. So hanging out with pigs is kind of like the worst thing you could possibly do. Jesus is painting a picture of this son who, who has done the unthinkable to his father, wandered away, spent everything, and is now at absolute rock bottom. He's desperate. Said he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. He, he prepares this speech. He says, I've sinned. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. I just, I'll, let me be a slave. Let me work. They get treated well. Let me just come. I've done bad things. I've made mistakes and I want to come home. Here we go, verse 20, the kind of climax of the story. But while the son was still a long way off, if you want to know what God is like, look at this. If while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Now this is kind of part two of the scandal of this story. Fathers uh, back in Middle Eastern culture were kind of stoic. They, they were strong, they didn't show much emotion, and they definitely wouldn't have run. That was the worst thing to do. Apparently the way that a man walked would kind of tell the world what kind of man he was so they didn't run. So imagine this is a picture of the father who, who would have hoisted his long robes up, revealing his hairy legs. And he would have just, no holds barred, sprinted to this son who's probably not eaten in weeks, disheveled, skinny, just skin and bones. He was moved by compassion and he ran. This is what compassion is. Compassion is about, um, not just about nice words or nice prayers. Compassion is about action. And we see the father moved by compassion, literally moved, so he runs out to meet his son with no assurance of repentance, no um, knowledge that he's actually going to stay. He just runs because he wants his son back. This would have been crazy all levels of decorum, all measures of cultural boundaries or rules of honor and shame in this moment with this father are shattered by the love of the father. If you want to know what God is like, that is it. He, he loves us enough to allow us to wander away, but then the moment we turn back, he sprints to get us. It's incredible. 
So the son then prepares this kind of pathetic speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But father doesn't really seem to listen. Verse 22 says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In other words, my son is not just going to get restored to servanthood, but actually sonship, back to a place of royalty. That is incredible. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they just, they had a party. They went wild. Isn't that an amazing story that Jesus tells? I've got some real, three really simple observations about what it means for us as a church, as a community, to invite our city to come home. My first observation from this passage was the youngest son was hungry for home. And our city is hungry for home. Our city longs, our city has an ache. Our city hungers for something more. There is so much pain. There is so much hurt. There is so much deep down hunger. There is this bone deep ache at the soul of our city longing for more. There is this kind of, at an atomic level, a recognition that humanity was born for more than just what we experience. And I think people know that. I, um, I experienced this recently with an with a, a amazing God encounter. It started just after Christmas. Uh, this is kind of how I just, Lord showed me just the hunger in people's hearts. It started after Christmas. I was in the body shop. Anyone a fan of the body shop? Yeah, not many of you. Wow, this is awkward. Um, I was in the body shop and I was with my wife and uh, we were buying moisturizer, mango moisturizer. That's not in my notes. I don't know why I've said that. Um, <laughs> And it mainly for Hannah, but um, I'm not going to lie to you, I have dabbled uh, in the moisturizer since then. It's remarkable. I'm a moisture evangelist now. Wait, hold on. That was the weirdest thing I've ever said. Um, but anyway, I'm in the body shop and there's this guy in there. And I don't know if you ever have these moments when you just meet someone and it's like the Holy Spirit goes, Some, there's something going on. There's like a, a, something in your spirit. So I just clocked him and we chatted and then I left. Fast forward five weeks and I'm getting the train this was just the weekend before last, train to Leeds. And, um, uh, and I'm going onto the platform, and who should I see sat in that, that kind of big glass box that people can wait in, which is a bit warmer than the actual platform, but I see this guy. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I've got a couple of options here. Option number one, I can, oh, he hasn't seen me yet. Option number one, I could just go past and sit down. Option number two is I could try and say hello. So obviously, most normal people would have just gone past. I'm not that normal. I think normal is overrated. So I um, decide to say hello. So I, I walk up to the glass, and I, and I start waving and smiling <laughs> like this, like far too much elbow in the wave. And um, he's on his phone, and he like looks up. And in my head, I thought he was going to be like, oh, hey, hey, man. His face was like this. Like, he had no idea who I was. It was embarrassing. And then I'm like, what do I do? Do I, do I like, bail? And then, like, pretend I've, like, done something and then leave? Or do I follow through? And I'm like, oh, I've got to, kind of got to commit to this. So I, like, keep waving and keep smiling. The situation's getting far, far more awkward. And then eventually I'm like, okay, I've got to go. I've got to go. So I, I left and waved. He still, his face was like, who is this lunatic that is waving and smiling at me? Uh, bearing in mind, I met him once in a shop. He's a shop. He meets thousands of people. So anyway, he, a couple of minutes later, I sit down, I crack open a bottle of Diet Coke, and I uh, start to read my book on the platform. And um, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He says, 
Josh, that was weird what you just did. <laughs> well, I found out I'm going to use it. And a couple of minutes after that, this guy comes out. And he's like, he kind of storms over to me, stands there. And he goes, why are you waving at me? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't really have a good answer to that. I don't have a good answer to that question. I said, he's like, do, do, do we know each other? I was like, I don't, I don't really think we're friends yet, but we're about to be friends. <laughs> I said, um, I came to the body shop six weeks ago. That was it. That was the connection. He was like, and you thought you'd wave at me because of that. So anyway, um, I said, tell me, how are you doing? Great to see you. How are you doing? And he said, oh, do you know what? I'm doing really badly. I've just been crying my eyes out. And uh, I'm like, oh, interesting. What's going on? He's just missed his train. Uh, he just missed his bus, and he's going to have to get a train now to Leeds. He's catching a flight in the morning, and he goes, I'm so terrified. I'm going to miss my flight. I've missed my, my bus. They sent me to the wrong place, and um, I'm freaking out. And I was like, well, don't freak out. And he goes, why? I said, because I'm, I'm, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian, and I believe that prayer works, and I'd love to pray for you. And he was like, oh, wow, okay. So then the train arrives. We get on the train. I say, hey, why don't you sit with me? And we sit together. And do you know what? It's the first thing he said. He said, so you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah. He goes, um, do you think I'm going to go to hell? And I'm like, that's an intense way to open a conversation. I don't really know how to answer that. And I'm like, well, that is a big question. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But first, let me just tell you about God. Let me tell you how God feels about you. I just began to share the gospel with him, said Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he goes, no, he doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. I've done too many bad stuff. Uh, half his family were part of a cult. He got excommunicated from that. The other half were spiritualists who used Ouija boards and um, kind of in, into witchcraft. So I'm sat on this train and people are listening. And I'm like, this is going to be an interesting train journey. But it was an incredible moment. And he kind of broke down. I got to share with him and pray with him. And um, do you know what? The Holy Spirit just spoke to me. He said, that, Josh, this is not a one-off story. There are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in our city who are hungry for more, who just don't believe that God could possibly love them, who need to know that there is a Father in heaven who loved them so much that he sends his only son to die on a cross that we might have eternal life, to take our sin, our wrong, and our error. And it was an incredible, it was an incredible moment. But I have to say, it starts with me being very, very strange. Um, so people are hungry. People in our city are hungry. And we can see that this young son is hungry for home. There are two characteristics that I kind of brought out from the passage, which I think define his lostness, which I think are, you can draw interesting parallels in our culture. Firstly, um, what led to his lostness were, were poor choices. The younger son made some bad choices and bad decisions, which led him away from the father. Every single one of us, not just the world, but us, have capabilities and, and abilities to make choices which lead us away from God. And that leads to lostness. He spent everything, Jesus said, on his wild lifestyle in the pursuit of pleasure or meaning or purpose or hope or joy or love or identity or affection or profile the sun spent everything and people in our world spend everything because they are searching for more. And yet they're searching in the wrong places. I think it was on um, Rick Warren, Saddleback Church had a, had a 
Starbucks coffee cup, and on the bottom of the coffee cup, it said, humanity was made for a relationship with God. And until that happens, life just doesn't make sense. And I think that is so true. The son made choices which placed himself on the throne of his own heart. And actually, this is what every single one of us do and have done in the past. So one thing that led to lostness was poor choices. But remember, the famine came. The famine came. Another thing that leads to lostness, people just being far from God, is external circumstances which lead to brokenness. Think of just the amount of suffering in the world. Think of the structures of injustice which bind people and weigh people down. Addictions which ravage people's minds and bodies. Creation itself is growing, groaning. Think of just the natural disasters which cause pain, which cause um, people to kind of wander. Think about all the other struggles that face us today, the epidemic of mental health problems, the identity crisis facing the emerging generation, the loneliness epidemic, the lack of community, abuse, relational breakdowns, suicide rates, just to name a few. There is a brokenness in the world and people need to come home. The son got to this place of desperation where he said, I've got to go home. I've got to go home. And yet the difference between the younger son and I think our world today is the younger son knew where home was. I don't think our world really knows where to go. The answer, the hope, church, that we have for our world is Jesus is the hope for humanity. We have the good news of Jesus. And so the son sets off home. Our world just doesn't know the way. One of my favorite films ever, Lord of the Rings. Anyone a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah, good. This is not that many of you. Wow, you need to watch it again. Um, there's this amazing uh, moment in the first Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're, having, they're at the Council of Elrond, and there's this invitation to fulfill the mission, to destroy the One Ring. And they're all arguing about who's going to do it. And Frodo, this little hobbit, has this moment where he, he kind of stands up and he says, I will do it. I will say yes to this. I will take the ring to Mordor. And then he says, but I don't know the way. And then the fellowship gather around him and go with him on his mission. And I think there are so many people in our world who would say yes to the invitation of Jesus if there were any people just to to show them the way and lead them home. So the first observation about leading our city home is that people are hungry for home. And we've got to have open eyes to see that. And if we have open eyes to see that and step out, I think we'll have incredible moments of the kingdom. The second observation I have is that home is not where the heart is. Home is where the Father is. If you were to ask me to kind of recite this parable from scratch, just from memory, I would have started with something like, once there was a son who made some bad choices. It doesn't start like that, does it? It starts by saying, once upon a time there was a father. Once there was a father who had two sons. There was a man. This is the story, not just of a rebellious son. This is the story of a perfect father. This begins with Jesus saying, I want to tell you a story about a man. A man. This is all about God. This is all about his heart. This is all about his love. This is all about his grace. This is all about the fact that he pursues humanity. It is about a love which is wider than horizons and deeper than oceans. It is about a love which runs for you. It is a love which climbs mountains and breaks down barriers. It is a love which has been wrongly defined and religiously confined for far too long. 
And I think the key to understanding the whole story in the wider context is why is Jesus talking about lost things in the first place? Why is Jesus talking about lost things? Well, if you go back to Luke 15, verse 1, it says Jesus is spending his time with tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus is spending his time with bad people with bad reputations. And the religious people, the Pharisees, take issue with this. And they, um, they grumble among themselves and they say, why is Jesus doing this? He receives sinners and he eats with them. Just as an aside, if you want a picture of what home is like, if what it means to invite people home, I think Jesus models it perfectly. He receives sinners. So whoever you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus wants to receive you. And we've got to be like that as a church. And receiving is not just about saying, hey, on a Sunday, but it's an invitation to share your life. And then he says he eats with them. That was a sign of friendship. So Jesus is modeling inviting people home in the start of this chapter. And they begin to grumble. They take issue with that. And so Jesus, in this parable, says, you take issue with the fact that I hang out with bad people, with bad reputations. Let me tell you the story about a father. Let me tell you how much the father loves his children. And guys, this has to be our motivation for anything we do. When people say, why do we run a soup kitchen for those in need? Our response is, let me tell you about a father who loves people. When we go out to the streets and tell people about Jesus, why are you doing this? Or why are you doing giveaways? Let me tell you about a father who loves people. He loves people so much, it's kind of ridiculous. If God had a weakness, it would be for people. God's heart is with people. He loves people so much. Check this, he lets them leave home. Because true love is always two-way, isn't it? True love always says, you know what, I choose you, but I'm going to wait for you to choose me. And the story of the Bible is that humanity walked away and made a choice to do our own thing. I know I have done that so many times. God loves people so much that the moment they turn around, he runs to get them. He loves people so much that he restores them back to sonship and royalty. He puts shoes on their feet. The slaves wouldn't have shoes on because with the hot sand, it meant they couldn't run away. But with the son, he put shoes back on his feet. The father was saying, I love you enough to allow you once again the choice to walk away. Isn't that crazy love from God? It's scandalous. He loves people so much that he parties immediately. God loves to party. One of our taglines is this church is love, serve, party. We want to be a church that loves to party, as Joni shared a couple of weeks ago. And this is how God feels about you. Maybe you're here today and you don't follow Jesus and you just, you've never experienced how much God loves you. You need to hear, if nothing else, that God loves you. He has a plan for you. He's just waiting for you to come home. And maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years, but you feel like you have wandered recently. Jesus, again, would say, come home. Come home. The moment we turn, that's repentance, is this act of turning. The Father will run towards you. The Father will run towards you. And so my last observation before we get into the practical aspect of this is, is our part in this whole thing is to go. Our part is to go and invite our city home. We can't sit in this building, I said this last week, but we can't sit in this beautiful building and shout to our city, come home. We have to go. We have to engage in people's lives. We have to receive people and eat with them. No matter who they are, wherever we find ourselves planted, there are people in your workplaces who are hungry for home, who I believe are one invitation or one question away 
from saying yes to Jesus. They may be thinking in their head, I wish I knew how to get to God if someone would just show me the way. People don't know the way. We have to meet them where they are. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We have to be willing to look stupid. I learn this lesson all the time. We have to be willing. It's the old John Wimber thing. I'm a fool for Christ. Who's fool are you? John Wimber started the vineyard movement. And we have to go. Now the story that Jesus tells in this parable has another son, doesn't it? The older brother. The older brother is, is, has been faithful. The older brother has been working for his father for many years. He's out in the field doing jobs. And he hears dancing. Let me tell you, if you can hear dancing it means the party's pretty wild. He hears the dancing and he hears music. And this is what it says in verse 28. The older brother becomes angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. I've just seen this this week as I've been studying. We think the, the, the father only pursues the younger son, but the father pursues the older son as well. That is the love of God. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. In other words, I've been ticking boxes this whole time. I've been doing it. Think of just the, the religion in that. I've never disobeyed your orders. I've done everything by the book. And yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here Jesus places the Pharisees right in the story. And the main message is this son, the older son, is just as lost as the younger son. This is the story not just of one lost son, but of two lost sons. And it was a warning to those that know God already to not be like this older son. When the party is happening, the older son is the only one that is not in the party. And so we have to be a people that go. We have to go. As a church, we're believing for incredible growth in our city and in our church. And yet we can't just sit here. It involves us going and getting out. And I think going is really not as complicated as we think about it. Evangelism has become this long word that everyone avoids, everyone's scared of. Um, and sure, there are some moments where it does involve risk in stepping out. But I think going is simply about, first and foremost, having a relationship with your heavenly father. That is what the, both the, the younger and the older son didn't do. The younger son wanted to have license to do what he wanted, and the older son was just about ticking boxes. Neither of their hearts were close to the father. Our hearts need to be close to God. And, and then it's just about saying yes to the next thing, saying yes to waving a guy because there's this weird prompting that you think this might be God and nothing may have come from that I have far more um, opportunities like that which would just make me look stupid but we have to go we are in the people business it's about people coming home what we are about is about people meeting Jesus and it will get messy and it will involve grace which is unmerited favour that we see so much throughout this, this story it involve Dying to ourselves and dying to our, our entitlements. Dying to the sense that we've been in this church for all these years and then someone new comes in and they get, they get special attention. How does God die to all that? Because it's about introducing people to Jesus. We need to um, just simply say yes. And I believe that as we step out and respond with faith and obedience, wherever we find ourselves planted, Think about where you live. 
Think about those people around you. Think about where you work. Who are the people that are struggling? What could that one kind word you could say to them this week, which could make them think, hey, what, what is it about that person that makes them different? What does it mean to be generous? How could we show the generosity of the Father in our everyday lives? And there's a few ways that as a church we want to help us, every single one of us, step out and go into our city. The first, I mean, there's many, but the first one I want to highlight is something we've got coming up called Alpha. Alpha is, um, I, I talk about Alpha all the time because I think it's so powerful and we've seen so many people meet Jesus through Alpha. Alpha, essentially where we create space for people, people to explore the meaning of life, people to meet Jesus, people to say yes. Paul says in the book of Romans, I think, that how do people know about God if they've never heard? And so we've got to create environments for people to hear about Jesus. And so we've got some just incredible things going on at our next Alpha. This is the Alpha meal launching on the 25th, a week on Tuesday. I want to encourage you guys. Why don't you go and get some flyers and just pray. Think about who in your world maybe you could just give that one invitation to. We heard last week the amazing story of Izzy who just... um, tried to invite people, they all said no. And so she connected with the culture, she went on social media and shared it, and then uh, a friend responded, came to Alpha and gave her life to Christ. If you, if you are involved in that, I think it's an amazing way to be part of what God is doing and seeing people get saved. Um, invites change everything. They, you know, invites, um, it could be that one difference that it makes in someone's life. Um, which could lead them home. Um, In order to invite, we've got to allow space to be inconvenienced, allow space to look silly. We need to take a risk, and we need to connect in a way that connects with other people. So that is one way that I want to encourage you to get involved. We're launching Alpha. You can let us know online on the website about Alpha. The second um, thing I want to draw your attention to, remind you of, I mentioned last week, was something we're launching in um, May called Give a Day to the City. Now, Give a Day to the City is all about um, partnering with God and with our city to bring life and hope to a a city which just needs Jesus. And so we're going to have dozens of projects scattered all across our city, ready for you guys to sign up to, to get involved, to give a day of your life, give what is in your hand to make a difference. This is May the 16th, it's a Saturday. You can book that out today. And the heart behind this is all about, really the heart behind this story. It's about compassion, which leads to action. It's about stepping out of the four walls of this church and engaging with our city in serving and washing the feet of our community. And so, as I said last week, this is not just about us kind of partnering with the council and doing it um, here in the office and getting a load of projects. But guys, I want to ask you, what is on your heart? What, are you, what frustrates you about where you live or, or the city that we find ourselves in? What injustice do you feel passionate about that you want to make a difference in? Um, what about your workplaces? What, would, what could it look like to serve? And if you have dreams or visions or ideas about this day, give a day, about, do you know what, Josh, it would be incredible if we could gather 10 people and head to my street for the day and clean graffiti and tidy it all up and put through some flyers through people's doors to say what we've done. Or, or going into um, my workplace that day and just tidying, cleaning it all up. Or you know a friend who's really struggling financially, we could just bless them and, and do their house or whatever. Maybe there are some things in your life uh, that you think that you're bothered about. 
botheredness is, is a character trait which changes the world. And so let me encourage you to think about getting involved in that as well.